in my life and the things I see, beauty is revealed in pain. So if you're not willing to risk going headlong into the pain, I just don't think you're going to find something beautiful. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. If you've listened to country music in the last 30 years, you've heard songs written by Tom Douglas. They include I Run To You, Drunk Girl, The House That Built Me, and Little Rock, the one sung by Colin Ray, not the one by Reba McIntyre. He's a Nashville legend and a member of the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. He recently released a movie, a one-man show called Love Tom, A Letter of Hope to a Desperate World. It's a beautiful, wise, and honest meditation on the creative process. You can stream it on Paramount+. Plus. Tom Douglas, I'm really happy to have you on the Habit Podcast today. I am so happy to be on the podcast with you guys. I'm a huge fan of what what you all are doing, and and uh, so thank you for having me. Well, man, I'm I'm uh, such a fan of what you do. I saw your uh, your one man show last night. Uh, Love Tom. Uh, well, you, the the subtitle. A letter of hope to a desperate world. Uh, right. Man, I just, I get so many things I, I want to talk about here. The movie's only 50 minutes long, and I want to talk for, you know, a few hours about it, but we'll, we'll <laughs> do the best we can. And, I, and I'll try not to spoil everything in the in the thing. But uh-huh. this is a, um, it's your response to a letter that you got from a, from a, a another songwriter. I assume a younger songwriter, but in any case, somebody, somebody says, what am I? what am I doing here? What, what is the point of all this? And so you, right. over the course of 50 something minutes, answer that question. Yeah. It started when I was uh, honored to be inducted into the Nashville songwriters hall of fame in 2014. And they give you literally 12 minutes for your acceptance speech. Okay. And as Abraham Lincoln said, if you want me to give a long speech, I can do it right now. If you want a short speech, it's going to take me a while. Yeah. So I worked on it for months. And I, you know, I just, I don't know. It, it, I, I didn't want it just to be thank this person, thank that person. I, I don't know why. I, I just, it just seemed so cliche, I guess. And I really hate cliches. So I, I, and I, I I don't know exactly what the impetus was, but uh, in in any event, I just thought, well, here'd be a pretty cool device, which would be um, I, I could uh, just kind of answer a letter, like almost at the same time, I, I got a, a a letter from a friend, a young songwriter, desperate. You know, why am I doing this? What is the point? And I know he was looking at me thinking, gosh, you've got it made. You've never had any problems. <laughs> I'll never aspire to that. I mean, I'll, I'll never achieve that. Yeah. So I just I tr- wanted to pull the veil back and demystify the creative process, which is, as you know, and everybody that's listening, is mind-achingly, heartbreakingly difficult. I mean, it's just it's, it is not for the faint of heart. And then I was kind of looking for a literary device that might work within the letter. 
And I thought, well, the creative process is we're really just drifting and drafting off what God has done from the first, you know, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created. And so everything we're doing is we're building upon that initial creation. I, I don't, it's almost like we're, there's a creative pool somewhere and we're dipping our toe in that and we're building off that what God. Yeah. So the, the, the letter and the movie is really, it's, I guess, a couple layers. One is the letter, but overlaid over the letter is the, is the seven days of creation. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it is, it, it, it's subtle, but you know, and some things that we do, I mean, as a writer, you know, there's some things we do that are not readily apparent to the listener or to the viewer, but it's just, it's a framework that helps us get through the work. So yeah. that really was, once I overlaid that over the letter, um, you know, that, that's the way songs develop, you know, in the beginning you have chaos and then you've got land and then you've got, you know, the birds singing a song over the expanse. I mean, it's, uh-huh. it's, it's not a literal seven day amplification of the creative, creative process, but it's there. <laughs> All right. I'm going to watch it again. Well, actually I've got tickets to see you do it live. Well, soon, I, so I'll, I'll be paying attention. You're a glutton for punishment. <laughs> So when I sat down to watch this movie, I knew to expect good advice. I, I know enough about your your career and your and your life and your approach to the world to know I was going to get some good good writing advice. But you know, I, I think what what impressed me so much was the extent to which you demonstrate that the that the the, the issues around writing are the issues around life, and mm. that that your work um, grows out of your life, um, your, your suffering. And we'll hoping before this conversation is over that we'll be talking about your, not just your suffering, but your joys that, that has grown out of, you know, that we'll, we'll get to that when we get to it. But, um, I, there, you know, there's, there's so much hurt and so much beauty that you, you know, that you talk about. And I love, I, I didn't, I'd never heard this, uh, this song that, that's the first song in the, in the movie. Uh, Van Gogh, I think is the, the title of the song. And yeah. uh, man, it, it, if you don't mind me reading your yeah back to you, this is the chorus. You're not crazy if it hurts, it makes you cry. Draw the beauty from your pain. Life is just too beautiful to put into a frame. Maybe that's the reason why Van Gogh went insane. Mm. Um, and I love that, that juxtaposition of the beauty and the pain. Yeah. Um, and, and that acknowledgement that, that doing creative work, uh, it can, it can grow out of pain. And, and that's, you know, you so much of what you, what you talking about in this, in this movie is redeeming that brokenness. Yeah. But also the work itself can cause plenty of pain. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, you I know. Mean, I guess your point is when you say you're not crazy if it hurts, make you cr- make if it hurts and, and makes you cry. You're talking about the work itself. Yeah, oh cry. yeah, it is going to, it's going to almost destroy you. And I, I, I don't. I mean, as I look back now, I've written 2,700 songs, and 
maybe 2,500 of them will never see the light of day. And yeah, 2,000 of the 2,700 are honestly terrible. I mean, mm-hmm. they're just awful. I'm not, I'm not being. I, I believe you. I, I, I mean, I, they're like, at the time I did it, I thought this is the greatest song I've ever written. <laughs> you know, only two days later to think I must have been high on something. I can't <laughs> imagine why I even approach that. But I just. I'm 69 years old, so I can make statements that I can't really back up, but (laughs) I don't think anything beautiful comes from anywhere, but something painful and broken. Now I can't, again, you're, you're smarter than I am, but I, I mean, I'm just telling you in my life and the things I see beauty is revealed in pain. So if you're not willing to risk going headlong into the pain, I just don't think you're going to find something beautiful. I mean, I I think that's the, you know, life comes from death. I mean, theologically that's that there just ain't no other way around it. Uh, I think, you know, ever since the garden of Eden, it's, it's manifested itself as we see it working out, which is yeah. real heartache, real pain. And the seed has like, to fall to the ground. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, something has to die for something to live. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm interested in this idea of, of you writing. I mean, you who is, you know, you're as well known as anybody for writing great songs, those 2000 bad songs you wrote, which again, I, I believe you when you say you're yeah. not just poor mouth and I, I know what it's, I know what it's like you know, the, I've talked to enough songwriters. No, you all have to write a lot of bad songs to get a few good yeah. ones. I also know that if, if somebody had said, Hey, just write the 200 good songs, right. that would have worked. Doesn't work. <laughs> you see, the seed has to fall to the ground and die. And that good, the good stuff, you get to the good stuff by doing the bad stuff. Yeah. You know, in, in, I have, I've talked to my, couple of my partners in this movie about doing a podcast just because I know that the world, the need of the podcast, but you know, things that I find that I, that I do that I really want to do that actually work have nothing to do with the fact of, um, you know, will this be a good idea commercially? Uh That honestly never worked for me. The things that have worked for me are, Am I supposed to do this? Even though I have, you know, a really strong inclination, this is going to end up commercially or, you know, financially unviable. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about this podcast. So I want to do a podcast called Spectacular Failure, mm-hmm. where the only I want to talk to really famous people, mm-hmm. but the only people that I want to, the only people that would, that we will be, willing to talk to are those that are willing to expose their vulnerability and that cross crossroads where they stood, where they, they could have gone left. They could have gone right, but they went straight headlong into the failure. And, you know, that's the road less traveled and, you know, and that's everything. And that, that's the reason why that we're interested in talking to them. Yeah. I hope you do that podcast. I'd listen. Now, I want to. I want to learn about that. And you, you probably know podcasting is the 
fast track to fame and riches. So yes, yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. that that's all I'm about. <laughs> well, you say you, you, the trying to guess what's going to be commercial doesn't work. It doesn't work because well, you by the time it, it takes a while for a song to or a book or anything to, to make it into the world. And by the time what seems commercially viable and as you're chasing that, you'll never catch up. You're right. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, um, the, the second, we're still on the Van Gogh. So we're still on the first two minutes of the movie. So we need to move on. I know, but I got to <laughs> talk about that second verse. Cause it just, it just blew me away. You say you offer up your best and it doesn't sell, cuts you to the bone and hurts like hell. And then you say, but promise me you'll still give your fragile heart. Yeah, man. And that's hard to do. It and I wish hard. I'd had, I needed that song in 2010. I don't know where, where it was in 2010, but wow. and I, you know, I, I wrote a, the, the Charlotte's boy, a, a book that I, I thought that's the best I can do. And I thought it was going to be a, I thought it was going to be kind of a breakout book or whatever. And then just nobody bought it. You couldn't, yeah. you couldn't find it and you couldn't find it in the stores. And uh, I mean, it was just so heartbreaking. And I had to come to terms with, I mean, ultimately, I, I, I mean, I had to have my feelings hurt for a while. Then I had to say, why is it so important to me that people I don't know admire me? Yeah. Right. And, and people, I, people, why is, why is it so important for me, for me to be loved by people who I can't love back when I'm surrounded by people who do love me wow. and who think, and who love this book that I wrote and I'm yeah. this book that I'm proud of. And I had to reach point. Where I was like, hey, I'm just, I'm just glad I wrote this book. And the fact that, it wasn't a commercial success is that's the least of my worries. Yeah. Well, that's not easy to work your way through. Everything you're saying is absolutely right on. And I know that you, I I suspect this, that you've surrounded yourself usually with community of people that can help you process that, not in isolation, but just to, it just talk about what you're feeling and help people, you know, your buddies and mm-hmm. your family help you process it because it's, there's, there's no way not to take it personally. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to take it personally. Don't do it. I mean, yeah. it's like, Hey, guess what? They are rejecting you to a degree <laughs> and that really does hurt, but, but it's, that's not ultimately defining. It's mm-hmm. it, I mean, the thing that we know is, some weird thing could happen and somebody could read the book and it could, you know, I mean, it could be made into a blockbuster movie, you know, starting production June 1st. I mean, you just, you, we want to put time limits on everything that, you know, that's got, you know, a, a, a time date stamp and it just doesn't. Yeah. But also you have to be all right with the, with the likelihood that that's not going to happen either. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's Yeah. You know, I I just have had to simplify everything I do down to this. I create and I share. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And then once I've shared it, I hope you like it. If you don't, guess what? I'm going to go back and create again. <laughs> so that that's that's a we have to detach ourselves from the outcome and Yeah. all those things which, you know, are kind of irritate you when people say them, but, but it's the truth. It's when, yeah. when we get trouble is when we get too attached to, you know, our formula for, for what is success and what's not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something about that reminds me of, of something you, you say, um, this is not, 
I'm telling the story not because it's the best story, but it's because the story I know best. Yeah. And all you all, all you can give is what you've got to give. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, and by the way, nobody's mad at you for not being able to give what you can't get. That's true. Yeah. We we get frustrated with ourselves, but yeah, it's it's I'm not Ernest Hemingway. I'm not C.S. Lewis. I'm not John Steinbeck. It's I'm not Steven Spielberg. But I do have a I do have a thing that I, I have tried to, you know, find over the years and and refine it and and define it. Um, and and as I have done that, I I have had more traction, you know, mm-hmm. from the world. If I'm like, mm-hmm. hey man, I know this is pretty specific. It's pistachio with a little rum raisin, and I know it's not for everybody, but there are a few people that really dig that, and I'm yeah. good for that. Yeah, yeah, not for everybody. Yeah. All right, we got we got to keep moving. I want to talk about your very complicated relationship with your dad, which is you know such a, an important part of your your story. If you yeah. don't mind, go, and you you don't mind, you just put it in a, in a movie, so you, you can talk to me about it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but you know, I've just been thinking about you know he he was the person who introduced you to you know the whole idea that that you could that people do music. You know, your, your dad was a, was a music fan. He introduced you to the Beatles, got you a guitar. Yeah. Encouraged you to play the bass instead, all this kind of stuff. Um, and you couldn't be doing what you are doing without him and without his encouragement. Yeah. And yet there was also some hurt there that, that, it, that I could imagine uh, situations in which that kind of hurt would, would stunt somebody's development. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. So my, I, I loved and still love my father. He was, you know, wonderfully complicated like most of us are, yeah. and, uh, you know, we empathy is something that I have been interested in the latter part of my life. When you, you kind of understand why somebody is like they are. Mm-hmm. Then, then all of a sudden, uh, you know, it's it just it's a whole lot easier to, to have a relationship with somebody. Yeah. Uh, so over the, over time, I started to really understand my father's upbringing, and I think my father was, you know, had a certainly a predisposition towards real clinical depression mm-hmm. and anxiety his whole life, and he managed it uh, for a good bit of the time. At times it didn't, he broke his arm when I was 10 and got addicted to, you know, the modern day equivalent of opioids. And that was a roller coaster ride for a number of years. And then he, he really recovered and um, you know, I say in the movie and then he recovered until he didn't. And he retired from U.S. Steel after a 45-year career in 1975, and I was graduated from college, and my sister was getting married, and everything that, you know, a large part of my father's identity has was his job. And when that was taken away, it was like, well, who am I now? And, you know, my mother actually had a very successful interior decorating business, and um, and my father, once again, he kind of slipped back into, you know, addiction mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I, I just remember 
I would go with them to a lot of appointments. And I mean, boy, they were handing out, you know, uh, prescription medication to my father and millions and millions of other Americans, just yeah. like Andy. And uh, so it's just, you know, uppers and downers. And anyway, that was, that started kind of a, almost a 20 year, uh, or I guess 17 year roller coaster ride again of addiction and uh, nursing homes and everything else. But during that time, um, you know, as I look back and and my father couldn't live with my mother really anymore Mm -hmm. and came, I, I, I was in Dallas at that time as a real estate broker. And it was a very difficult time. I was newly married and I was starting over a new career as a real estate broker. Because you had moved to Nashville to make it as a songwriter. Yeah, I'm telling left town story in a very circuitous manner. But I, I came to Nashville in 1980 and was here from 80 to 84 to pursue music, songwriting, and got nothing going. It was it was just devastating. It, it Nashville, like L.A. or New York, man, if you're on the outside looking in, it is a desperate place to be. And uh, so I was here for four years and my father was living with me for part of that time. And that was complicated. I said, I got to I got to clear the deck. So I I moved to Dallas and left music forever (laughs) and uh, reinvented myself as a real estate broker and got married. My dad moved, moved with me. And he was in and out of nursing homes and hospitals and everything. Thirteen year kind of roller coaster ride, uh, and it was very difficult. But honestly, as I look back, you know, maybe the greatest time of my life were those thirteen years where I really, you know, had care for my father. Uh, mm-hmm. It was uh, it was. Terribly beautiful, terribly painful, and terribly beautiful all at the same time. But if I hadn't gone through that, uh, I would not be writing songs today. It, it was in the movie I, I tell. It was probably nineteen ninety or ninety one, something like that. And occasionally, I would pick my father up uh, from the nursing home and take him around with me on my sales calls in the real estate business and. I was cold calling a shopping center and I was having this conversation with some tenants at the same time. I was really arguing with God. I said, God, I'm 39. I'm jaded, cynical, and incredibly disappointed with my pathetic life. And God said, you've been worshiping the creation instead of me, the creator. How's that working out? (laughs) And I really, for a moment, I repented of my idolatry and I kind of got somehow the gift of creativity back. I just said, I don't want everything that goes with it. I really, I really, what I want is a relationship with you, God. And I just want to enjoy the gift of music again. And slowly over time, it's like an iceberg melting. Uh, My heart kind of melted and softened. And I started just enjoying the gift of creativity again. And Mm just kind of slowly started writing some songs. I didn't write songs for five, six, seven years. I mean, I just, I don't ever want to do that again. Can you tell the story about uh, when you came into the nursing home, your dad's room in the nursing home and he was listening to your, was was it Little Rock that he was listening to? Yes. Right. Amazing. And by the way, I need to clarify, we're talking about not Reba McIntyre's Little Rock. Right. Right. 
you know, when I first heard about about you from mutual friends, it was like he's the guy who wrote Little Rock, and I thought, uh, okay, you know, <laughs> everybody's got to make a living. But I, I didn't, I didn't know we were talking about right. Uh, Colin Ray's Little Rock. Colin Ray's Little Rock. Yeah, that that Little Rock is uh, upbeat and bouncy, and actually makes you feel good. Mine makes yeah. you want to throw yourself out the third floor window. Yeah, I think it makes. I think the other one makes you bouncy and feel good about divorce. I think, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> that, that, oh, that's true. <laughs> and, so, and so I was so relieved when I found out that wasn't the Little Rock we were talking oh, about. Wow. But anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, it's probably 1992, I guess. Uh, and I had, you know, I'd go to visit my father frequently, and usually when I'd go see him in his nursing home, it was. It was a, it was like a dungeon, a comatose dungeon where it was smelled bad. And he had on, you know, soup stained pajama tops and terrible slippers. And, you know, he, you couldn't even, you wouldn't even speak. He just lay on his bed and had his eyes closed. And I just sit there angry, just pissed off, honestly. He's like, man, this is not the way that I thought it was going to end up. And went in another, you know, another, like the next week, and I go in, and it was the lights were on, the, the shades were pulled. My father had on a clean white shirt and sweatpants and white tennis shoes, and my father was listening to a song that I'd written, which was Little Rock. I just demoed the song, and he said, "Man," he said, "I love this song." And, <laughs> I mean, the, really, the first thing my father said to me that made any sense in about 19 years was, hey, Tommy, would you like a piece of chewing gum? <laughs> my, father, my father had dentures, and he loved, uh, uh, he loved free dent chewing gum. So he uh-huh. was always chewing gum. So my father and I shared. The reason why I still like gum is my father and I shared some gum and uh-huh. listened to a little music. Yeah. It was, it was miraculous. Honestly, it's, I don't say that. I know there's all kind of miracles that happen, but that was a living, breathing, honest to goodness. He went from dead to alive. Yeah. And I, I and then he, he cancer got him in the end, but he was restored the last three years of his life. And mm-hmm. I, Oh, so that wasn't a one-time thing. He, he, he was from, he was good from that moment forward. Is that right? And I, you know, I, I don't, I mean, somebody would say, well, they finally got the medication right or okay. I don't know. I, I'm telling you he was dead yeah. and he wasn't. Um, the, and then Little Rock is the song that kind of brought you back to Nashville yeah. and, and you've kind of no looking back since then, so to speak, I guess you've looked back some, but. I've, 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 I look back about four times an hour. So. <laughs> I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I misspoke. But, no, no. Um, hey, is, yeah. it a, is it a coincidence that Little Rock is halfway between Dallas and Nashville? You know what? Of all the people have asked me lots of questions about that, that's the first time somebody said that. I think that is – I'm going to give you a diet Dr. Pepper. I think you're right. <laughs> Because it was your sort of bridge back. Well, the truth is, at the time that I kind of regained my creative cycle, just to show you the crazy way our minds work, I was working for Walmart, uh, doing some work for Walmart. Bill Clinton was running for president. Okay. My father was 
you know, recovering constantly from some addiction. And I was felt like I was always starting over by that time. I was probably, I don't know. I was probably 40. And I was like, I am constantly starting over. Everybody else around me is on their second and third promotion and has a nice house. I was renting and I was, I, I liked real estate, but I wasn't really good at real estate. I, I worked with some amazing real estate brokers and I was very, very average. But you take all that combination of those factors. And I said, well, why don't I, one morning, I, I was still just fooling around music. I said, why don't I just try to tell a story that interests me that I like? And I said, all right, I got a recovering alcoholic who was my father, metaphorically. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm selling VCRs, which nobody in your audience even knows what those are. <laughs> I'm selling VCRs in a Walmart in Little Rock. Yeah. And, and the reason why Little Rock was because Bill Clinton was running for president and every article in the world was Bill Clinton, the boy from Little Rock. is on uh-huh. And I was like, all right, there's my protagonist and there's my story. Well, my theory was that you were looking at the map toward Nashville and saw Little Rock, but that, that really I like your theory. story. Your, I like your story better. Uh, but man, that is, I can't remember if it's the first line or the second line of the song. I'm selling VCRs in Arkansas in a Walmart or something. I can, now, now I'm butchering it probably, but, but the specificity of that, by the way, I just love yeah. it. It's a, well, you know, in songwriting, the more specific that you can get, the smaller you can make it, the more universal it becomes. Uh-huh. It sounds like the kind of line that that people are probably teaching in songwriting classes over at Belmont. <laughs> they, they, they might be. They, kiss you. they might say, don't do that. <laughs> it, well, I mean, it, it is funny because it, it it is a little counterintuitive. Yeah. This idea that the more specific you get, the more concrete you get, the more universal it is. But, yeah, you know, it, you know Stephen Sondheim, the, maybe the greatest lyricist, one of the great songwriters ever in America, he says, God is in the details. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, so he says, fill your songs with sights, sounds, smells, taste, touches, colors, and motion. You know, yeah. like if you're going to say, I'm going to go to the beach, you, you wouldn't say that. What you would say is I got a rusted red Corvette with the windows down and she's got coconut suntan, suntan oil on, oil on, and the windows down, the radios, you know, in the breeze, and you know she's got she's got cheap pink sunglasses on. That's how you would say I'm going to the beach. <laughs> so anyway, it, it's easier said than done, I suppose. Well, I'm not quite done with you with your dad listening to that song in the nursing yeah. nursing home room. He's because I, I I think about the way that song was a blessing to him. Yeah. And and that was also a father's blessing on a son. Yeah. And a father saying, go. I don't know. I mean, am I, maybe I'm pop psychologizing this, but it, it feels like something was happening there that, that gave you, did you feel like you were getting permission to go do this or? Well, yeah, just- it was, it was, it was the creative process, you know, happens in, it's like floors of an elevator of an office building. It's you're kind of moving up and you're moving down. I, I, I moved up a couple of floors when I sat down that time and I said, 
I'm going to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I'm just going to tell a story. I like stories. And I was, I don't even think I realized it at the time, but the song is really, it, the song is all about my father. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's weird how it, it, uh, it still can hit me at times. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, I, I think the song is just about trying to find that line in the sand drawing it and saying, I am not going back mm. this time. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a song about starting over. I mean, that's just the essence of the song. It's, you know, the indomitable human spirit that just keeps trying. It, 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 you, you, you can't quit. And that's what this guy, this guy's tried a million times to quit drinking. And, you know, the protagonist in the song and he can't. I mean, he's left his family. He's just trying to reinvent it himself somewhere. He's got a, a decent job. He's been 19 days without a drink. And he's like, you know, I think I've done it. I mean, I, that's that. I mean, that's just the, the way I feel. It's, you know, Sisyphus pushing the rock up the mountain. It's probably going to roll back again. Maybe one of those days it'll stick up there. Yeah. Wow. You got to love pushing the ball up the of the mountain. You got to love that. And then get the fact if it rolls down or sticks up there. Well, that, yeah, that, that brings me to, to another thing that I, that I really resonated with or that resonated with me. I'm not sure you say that, but you talk about that you have to steer, steer a course or, or live in attention. I can't remember the, the exact way you put it, but between apathy on the one hand and, and just uh, what's what's on the other hand, anxiety. This you call it the rat on your shoulder telling you that you're never gonna that you're never gonna you know never gonna do this. You're never in terms of creative work, right? And that's I think that's you say the rat never dies. Yeah, and yeah. That, that's that's, that's kind of Sisyphean. You know, the fact that that every that there's no running the rat off permanently. Yeah. Well, you know, I've read a lot of books on creativity and writing and. Uh, well, you know, something that you said, sorry, in the intro, I, I feel like I have been all over the map. I haven't set a, a direct line yet. So I apologize if this sounds disorganized, but something that you said earlier that, um, God, and, and now I forgot it again. It, it was, uh, it'll come back to me, man, my, my daughter's having a big wedding party this weekend and, uh, uh. and party. And I think I'm completely, uh, <laughs> I'm completely stressed out about that. But you said something that was anyway, I'll think of it. Um shoot. But yeah, about the rat. Oh, sorry. The reason why I I, I wrote the 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 movie is I really honestly, again, I don't you you'll think, no, oh, he's just full of it. I don't really know much about songwriting. I know a lot about songwriters. So this is the the, the whole love, Tom. It's not a letter about songwriting. Honestly, I'm as mystified about that as anybody. The more I learn, the less I know. But I do know what makes writers tick. And that's what I'm interested in. That's that's kind of my calling. I can I'm great at diagnosing songwriters. I don't know a damn thing about songwriting. But anyway, um, 
so yeah, the the you know that that rat, the voice, you know the the war. There've been you know a lot of books about you know the oppressive spirit of you know it, it's that thing that every time you sit down and look at a blank page, you know that there's a voice somewhere that says, "Why are you doing this, man? I mean, what are you writing about?" It's yeah. the perfectionist in us that doesn't want to write anything unless it's going to be perfect and. Those are things you just have to work through over time. But yeah. And, and the other thing is, you know, for years, I think I, I tried to kill the rat. And then I was always surprised when the rat that kept calling me a fraud would show back up the next day. And uh-huh. finally I realized, Hey, the rat ain't going away. The only thing that's going to change is my ability to deal with the rat. And, you know, I say, I use the analogy in the movie about putting them in a mason jar, screwing down a brass lid, walking it out of the driveway, loading up a 12 gauge and blowing it into smithereens. That's how you get started. And then he's going to wander back in, but that's (laughs) okay. That's fine. At least I know how to deal with it. But I'm not going to try, I'm not going to try to exhaust myself, you know, annihilating the rat. Impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah trying to get the rat out of the room long enough to get started. That's it. That, 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 that's all you got to do. Well, ultimately, as much as you talk about hurt in, in when you talk about art making and when you, in, in this movie, really you're talking about love. I mean, the, the name of this movie is love Tom, yeah, not right. pain Tom. Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and you say that, I, I'm probably probably a direct quote, but every song is a love song. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, love has many facets and, you know, there's, uh, there is happy love, sad love, you know, uh, good love, bad love, you know, throw yourself off the Tallahatchie bridge and, mm-hmm. you know, raise your hands on the roller coaster. It's, it is a, uh, you know, love's kind of gotten a, a bad rap and that when you think of love, you think of, you know, sunshine and rainbows and, <laughs> you know, love is far more beautiful and complicated than that. But in, in, in every, and I just think in, in the essence, the songs that, that we have loved throughout the history of time, somehow you can categorize in one of those folders of a love song, unrequited, broken hearted, you know, joyous, you know, you yeah. You I think St. Augustine would agree with you. It's, it's I, even I, if it's disordered love or actually yeah. most of the country songs are about disordered love, right? Yeah. I mean, and I, all I, the pop songs and uh, yes. whether they acknowledge it or not, it, it's, it still is uh it's a love song. You know, I mean, the, the gospel is it's a love letter. Yeah. Yeah. And creation was an act of love, right? God, yeah. God made the world because he wanted to, because he loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And, he, yeah. And so it all, you know, I mean, it, it, this is a, as I did notice that creation was the, was the theme. Yeah. Here. I just didn't pick out the seven days. I feel like I need to defend myself a little bit for not noticing that there was <laughs> a seven day creation theme, but, um, but that brings it all. I think that does bring it all back around the, the truth that we all exist. We, we exist at all because somebody loved us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is, I mean, you know, the, the, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate 
gosh, the ultimate act of love is to take people that are fleeing from you, running in the other direction with their fists clenched, you know, screaming profanities at you <laughs> and chasing you down. That's a love song right there. Yeah. And yeah. And, and, uh, and it's, it's really apparent that you love the people you're making this art for. So I appreciate yeah. that. Well, thank you. Yeah. It, it was, a, it was a joy to do. Oh. Well, Tom, I always end these conversations with the question, who are the writers that make you want to write? Well, you know, I, I grew up, you know, the singer-songwriters, the, you know, the Dillons, the Springsteens, the, you know, Stephen Sondheim, the uh, Hank Williams, Christofferson. I, I just heard an amazing new album today by this artist that's been around for a while. His name is Gabe Dixon. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, it was just, uh, he's got a brand new live album. It's called, it's called Live from Soiled Dove. <laughs> okay. I guess that's the name of a club. But I mean, it's just, it's, I can tell, maybe we all can, you can tell when you really love something, if it makes you want to go create something. Yeah. And it was so yeah. good, it made me want to go write a song. I think we're all look, looking for points of inspiration. And that's really all we try to provide with our little film is just to inspire somebody somewhere that's getting ready to give up on their dream mm. to uh, just try one more, one more time. And maybe there's some takeaway uh from our film that that might inspire you to try one more time. And I, I just wanted to show how flawed and, you know, failing and desperate the process is so that nobody looks, you know, you look on Instagram or in the culture TV shows and everybody looks like they got it made, but yeah. I mean, you look behind it and it's just, it's chaotic and it's, yeah. it's shattering and it's scattering and it's, and it's, it's, if somebody tells you, Hey, guess what? That's no, that's completely normal. I think, you know, when you're starting yeah. out or in the middle of it, you think this is scattering, shattering, and, you know, and it's, I'm cutting myself on broken pieces of glass. Something must be wrong. You'd be like, no, no, no. Actually, you're doing, you're, you're closer than you've ever been. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. The same process that gives us the, the disasters gives us the triumphs. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all the same process. Yeah. It's just, it's just getting through the, the disaster, just yeah. weathering the storm um, and not counting yourself out. Yeah. Well, at the risk of, of a spoiler, I, I love the way you end this, this uh, show, this movie, you know, addressing the, the person who the letters addressed to the person who, who, who asked you the question and, and saying, I need you to go do the work. Yeah. You know, I'm paraphrasing. I need you to go yeah. do the work. Because one of these days I'm gonna lose my way, and I'm gonna need you to help me find my way back. Yeah, I got you. You gotta. If my song has helped you, then I'm telling you, I'm gonna get lost, and I'm gonna need you to write that song to help me find my way back home. That's why you're here. Yeah, uh, that's how we end it. Well, Tom Douglas, I'm really grateful for for the songs you put out in the world that you've created and then shared that are helping people find their way back. So thanks, man. Well, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for what you're doing and I appreciate all you 
guys at the Rabbit Room, and I look forward to hooking up down the road. Sounds great. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Jonathan. The Habit Podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. To check out more of our podcasts, visit rabbitroom.com slash podcast. Our work at The Rabbit Room would be impossible without the generous support of our membership. If you'd like to learn more about membership at The Rabbit Room, visit rabbitroom.com slash member. And thanks for listening. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.